0: nineteen eighty seven contact LibertyHealingArts.com. I'm Clive Baca. This is Janice and I'm B.D. Wong.
1: I'm Kate Clinton. This is Judy Shepard.
0: I'm Armistead Maupin. A summary of some of the news in or affecting the lesbian and gay community. This is Margaret Cho. This is Greg Luganis.
1: I'm Patricia Nell Warren. I'm Ellen DeGeneres.
0: This is Ian McKellen. I'm Bruce Valanche. And you're
2: listening to This Way Out, the International Gay and Lesbian Radio Magazine. On Community
3: Radio, WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, a voice of many voices.
0: Wednesday afternoons at 4. Support for WERU health-related programming comes from the Penobscot Bay Press, committed to providing community news and information, publishing
3: three weekly newspapers, The Weekly Packet, Island Advantages, The Castine Patriot, The Annual Bay Community Register, The Summer Seasonal Guide, and more. Also on the web at www.penobscotbaypress.com. Information presented in the following program represents the opinions of the participants and does not constitute medical advice. Please consult your physician before undertaking any treatment or therapy.
1: It's 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, and streaming online around the world at weru.org. Healthy Options with your host, Andre Bella, is up next. Welcome to Healthy Options, a monthly radio show that discusses integrative health therapies. Uh, I'm Andre Bella, I'm your host for this morning. Just a reminder that this is a live call-in show, so after a short break at the half hour, we'll be opening the phone lines for your questions and comments. If you're thinking this is going to be a dull show, think again. This morning we're talking about raids, sting operations, government harassment, grassroots solidarity, and consumer rights. And about what topic? we're talking about raw milk. This morning we have the pleasure of talking with David Gumpert, author of The Raw Milk Revolution, Behind America's Emerging Battle Over Food Rights. Uh, Welcome, David. Hi there. Hi there. Um, David E. Gumpert specializes in reporting and writing about health and food issues. He writes for a number of online publications, including grist.org and the Huffington Post. He's the author of The Raw Milk Revolution Behind America's Emerging Battle Over Food Rights. He also writes a popular blog, The Complete Patient, and you can find that at www.thecompletepatient.com, which over the last five years has aggressively covered a number of health and regulatory issues, focusing heavily on regulatory excesses involving raw milk and food safety. He's previously been a staff reporter with the Wall Street Journal and an editor at the Harvard Business Review. And before we start, I would like to read a comment from your book, David. This is a comment by Dean Flores, who is the majority leader of the California State Senate. And he says, David Gumpert employs his expertise as a professional business writer to dig deep and wide into the exploding raw milk controversy. His compelling analysis of the science, economics, politics, and history of nature's most perfect food opens the door to a greater understanding of the major challenges facing our food and agricultural systems today. Anyone concerned with health of our people, our environment, and our democracy should heed his words, and I might add, read this book. Welcome, David.
2: Thank you. Glad to be here.
1: This, this is a huge topic and I will say that David's book is extremely comprehensive so I strongly recommend that you all read the entire book. Since we only have an hour for this interview, um, today we'd like to focus on three major topics. Uh, the possible health benefits of raw milk and the controversy over its safety. Uh, the availability of raw milk in the state of Maine. And we'd like to talk a little bit about uh, ways to protect consumer rights to choose the food that we would like to eat and ways to support farmers that provide us with that food. so so to begin with, David, can you give us a little history about milk? Um, nature's perfect food?
2: <laughs> well, uh, you know, milk has been uh, been consumed by by people for uh, uh, some thousands of years now, I mean you know it's it 's referred to in the, in the Bible any number of times uh often coming from goats in in those days uh, but i 'm sure camels uh, as well um, and and camel's milk actually is a, a, a available today although I think it 's pretty expensive uh, but um, you know uh, milk uh has is a is a natural product, and 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 people have been feeding it to children and and consuming it as adults for 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 many hundreds of years, and, and they've always until the um, early 1900s they were always consuming it unpasteurized. Uh, we don't really uh, know of problems with milk uh, through um, probably the mid 1800s because it just it wasn't an issue. It was it was uh, uh, such a natural. Product and such a such a given such a, a, a just a part of the, the diet that um, uh, it it doesn 't seem to you know people just drank it and and uh, it was part of the uh, regimen uh, in the mid eighteen hundreds we started having some problems and and these problems came were were uh, came together with um, uh, the um, industrialization of our cities uh, we had the industrial revolution going on and and what that meant was that Uh, Many thousands of people moved from the countryside into our our big cities, and the um, uh, uh, the cows uh, moved with them. Uh, In other words, uh, uh, there was such you had this um, uh, growing concentration of people in big cities, and people uh, wanted their milk, and so uh, uh, there were enterprising um, uh, farm owners or animal owners. uh, and landowners who brought cows into the city. And that created all kinds of problems because uh, what you wound up with were the, really the first feedlots. You had unsanitary conditions. Uh, you had the um, oftentimes the cows being fed uh, the leftovers uh, from distilleries. Uh, and, and this was... Um, Uh, poor quality food.
1: So it wasn't quite like being back on the farm.
2: It wasn't like being back on the farm. They weren't uh, able to graze, and um, uh, so all kinds of things were uh, changing. Uh, The the other uh, kind of, um, I guess, wrench in the whole system was that uh, there was little understanding at the time of things like the importance of sanitation and the importance of refrigeration. Those weren't big issues as long as you were out in the country. Uh, The milk was... um, uh, traveling short distances, was not sitting around all that long. Um, uh, the animals were grazing, and, 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 you know, everything was happening the way it kind of should in nature.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, but all of a sudden you had this unnatural process going on and, um, and and no understanding of it. So people started getting sick, and in particular children, because children tend to be the big, big consumers of milk. Uh, and, and so you had these uh, terrible outbreaks in big cities like Boston, Philadelphia, and New York uh, with with thousands of of children dying. Um, Now, at the same time, you have to keep in mind, with this industrialization going on and the um, uh, uh, increase in numbers in the big cities, you had uh, problems with sewage and water and other food. So people were getting sick, and and nobody knew why. Uh, It wasn't really till the uh, late 1800s, early 1900s, that... um, that the whole idea of, of pasteurization began to take hold. This was a development by uh, Louis Pasteur, who uh, is a French scientist, who actually came up with it to, to deal with um, uh, uh, contamination of, uh, or actually spoilage of wine, uh, not so much contamination, but um, it was applied to milk. And by the early 1900s, it, it seemed to work in the sense that uh, children drank it, and they didn't get uh, they didn't get as many of the uh, these terrible diseases like typhoid. and tuberculosis.
1: So, so what actually is pasteurization? What pasteurization, happens to the milk when it's pasteurized?
2: Yeah, what what happens to milk is it's it's heated very briefly uh, to uh, I think it's um, something like um, 170 degrees, 180 degrees Fahrenheit. It's supposed to be uh, if you have a pasteurizer, it's heated it's supposed to be heated for I think uh, 30 seconds. Um, if it's, if it's done just by kind of you know, um, like in the home kitchen uh, it, it should be heated longer and I think up, up to 30 minutes but um, the effect is to uh, kill off bacteria and uh, these are the pathogens that, that were making people sick but in the process um, other bacteria are, are killed off as well the so-called good bacteria uh, the probiotics and that's the, that's the problem that people who um, are concerned about the quality of their food today. Uh, want to preserve. They want to preserve those good bacteria, and so that's why they're they're drinking more raw milk.
1: Yeah, I, I want to. One part of your book that I found really interesting. I want to back up to Louis Pasteur. Um, there also was another uh, scientist uh, popular at that time. I was at Bichon well,
2: Bertrand. I think is the um... uh,
1: and and I think this brings up uh, two very differing ideologies. Uh, one being the germ theory of Pasteur and the other being, I think, what was called the cellular terrain or we might call, you know, the building of the immune system. Uh, Talk a little bit about these two somewhat opposing approaches to health.
2: Sure. Um, Well, Louis Pasteur came up with this uh, idea, as you mentioned, of the germ theory. And the germ theory uh, postulates that uh, the sickness is, is created by germs. In other words, we have bad germs, like from, like I mentioned, typhoid and tuberculosis. And <clears throat> today, uh, these, these pathogens or germs might be um, Campylobacter or E. coli 015787. Um, but uh, the idea being that to the extent we can get rid of, rid of these germs, uh, we will be healthy. And uh, the other uh, view, which uh, you uh, allude to, is, you know, the terrain, uh, the terrain being more a, a more holistic view uh, that 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 uh, that the, the whole body needs to be uh, tended to, and um, uh, part of that being the immune system, which protects us from um, disease in general, not just um, uh, say uh, germs, bad germs, but um, also things like uh, cancer or autoimmune uh, problems. Uh, that uh, so th- there's um, this kind of uh, more holistic view, uh, and and as part of that, uh, there's been a greater understanding over the years that uh, part of our immune system is made up uh, by so-called good bacteria, and that um, and, and and about seventy percent of, of that good bacteria, of uh, those good bacteria reside in our guts, and so to the extent that we kind of um, uh, uh, have a uh, kind of an active uh, and full gut flora. Um, these these uh, a variety of these good bacteria. They help uh, not only digest our food, but they help ward off bad bacteria. They they kill off the bad germs uh, that uh, pasteur is so worried about.
1: Yeah. So so in um, the pasteurization of milk, um, is are some of these good bacteria killed?
2: Yeah, that's that's the that's the concern that some of these good bacteria are killed, and also certain um, enzymes which are contained in the milk are are um, are uh, deactivated. Uh, these enzymes, uh, which we we all have, we have uh, an assortment of enzymes uh, naturally in our body that that help um, in digestion and help in the whole kind of cellular process that's uh, constantly going on, and and um, helping us uh, maintain immunity and, and, and kind of growing new cells and all the things that are going on kind of behind the scenes. Uh, so there's a concern that the pasteurization alters the milk in a number of ways uh, uh, by in terms of bacteria, enzymes, even deactivating certain proteins that, that are important.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so many people uh, want to drink raw milk as a, a probiotic to strengthen their immune systems.
2: Um, is that right? Yes, that they want yeah. and
1: I think I, I should say,
2: uh, you know, raw milk being one component of a uh, of a of a diet that, that is um, rich in what we call nutrient dense uh, properties. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have
1: uh,
2: um, whole foods, yeah, yeah, whole, uh, a variety of whole foods.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, uh, for any of our listeners who might have uh, just tuned in, this is WERU 89.9 FM on your radio dial, and this is Healthy Options. And this morning, we are interviewing David Gumpert about his book, The Raw Milk Revolution, Behind America's Emerging Battle Over food rights and I'd like to remind everyone that in another 15 minutes we will be opening up the phone lines and I'm going to give that number now and I'll give it several times later but if you want to make a note of it now it's one 625 9378 so um, uh, what are some of the um, the uh, benefits of of health uh, of raw milk besides the immune-building thing that we hear a lot of anecdotal things about. And, and let's just cut to the chase here. What, what does the FDA have to say about this?
2: Well, uh, the FDA um, says that there's really no difference between uh, raw milk and milk that's gone through pasteurization, uh, that they are virtually identical in terms of their... Um, nutritional composition and um, their nutritional benefits uh, they don't give any credence to this idea that uh, the, uh, the, the 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 probiotic properties that we've been talking about are, are of any um, benefit to people um, and so basically what they what they argue is that uh, if if the if if pasteurization really does not change milk uh, in any substantive way, then it's too risky uh, to be drinking unpasteurized milk. Uh, mm. uh, so that that's kind of their argument. they They really I'd, I'd say that it's part of a, a general bias they have um, in terms of food and recognizing the possible benefits of food, this doesn't this extends beyond milk, but they really uh, don't give a lot of credence to the idea that, uh, for instance, nutrition, nutritionally dense foods uh, are, you know, uh, uh, you know are, are something that um, uh, that we should, I guess, take more seriously than, uh, you know, my nutritionally dense foods. I mean, like fermented foods or uh, uh, foods that um, are you know, like uh, yogurt or um, kefir, things like that that uh, uh, help build up the uh, kind of the gut flora.
1: Well, you know, when I, when I first um, saw your book, I thought, oh, this, you know, this is about raw milk. And that was a subject that interested me because back in the 1980s, I used to have a small goat dairy where I sold raw milk and my kids grew up on raw milk. But I was also, when I started reading the book, I was also captivated by the second part of the title of your book, uh, you know, America's emerging battle over food rights. So this is really um, a lot more than about raw milk, although what we're focusing on this morning is raw milk, but, but certainly there are other foods that have Uh, had the same issues that raw milk has had. Um, Specifically, uh, because there seems to be mostly anecdotal evidence of the health benefits of raw milk, what are some of the things people who drink milk or their children drink raw milk? Why are people buying raw milk? What are they saying that it does for them and their children?
2: Well, I think different people have different ideas. As you suggest, the, the evidence is uh, incomplete, and I mean, part of the reason that the evidence is incomplete is that our government has opposed um, doing additional research, finding out more about uh, people who are drinking raw milk, why they're drinking raw milk. Um, having said that, now, there are a, a, a few studies underway or being completed. There's a study just being started at Ohio State, um, being funded by the U.S. Department of Agriculture uh, that's looking into why people are drinking raw milk and um, what's motivating them. Um, there's a study that just uh, came out of Stanford um, Medical School looking at whether um, raw milk really uh, helps uh, counter lactose intolerance, and it did a, a very small study on 16 people they concluded that um, raw milk does not have any special benefits for lactose intolerance. Having said that, there is a, a growing body of evidence that suggests that uh, that, that uh, people who have problems with pasteurized milk uh, and, and think they're lactose intolerant as a result um, actually can drink raw milk. Uh, there's, uh, and, and so we, we get into a, a lot of uh, different areas here. Uh, there are people who have Crohn's disease who who've um, n- uh, seen a lot of benefits from raw milk. These are anecdotal uh, kind. This is uh, you know an anecdotal um, evidence, but uh, uh, I, I, I've certainly met a lot of people. And if you I've attended hearings on raw milk in a number of states, where people have talked about the benefits to Crohn's or the benefits um, uh, to um, things like asthma, uh, so. I mean, I, I'm not a you know I'm not a nutritionist, and I, I don't like to talk about you know raw milk being a cure for this or that because I don't think it, it, it is a cure necessarily for anything. I think it can help. Uh, my sense is it can help relieve certain conditions in certain people, uh, but it doesn't work uh, uh, the same for everyone. I think that's kind of um, you know you spoke earlier about raw milk and food rights. I mean, raw milk to me is a proxy issue. It's a representative issue for. Um, a number of other issues affecting uh, food, and um, certainly uh, we've seen a number of foods that, that the government has decided are, are too risky, too dangerous, as they put it, and they've, they've, they're gradually uh, trying to get rid of these foods. And the, 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 the problem is that the list keeps expanding. And uh, so, um, for example, you, you, you have a hard time to, these days finding unpasteurized apple cider. You mm-hmm. have a very—you cannot find unpasteurized vegetable juices in, in stores. Um, almonds now uh, have to be uh, pasteurized. Uh, even those that are—it they, says that they're raw almonds—they really aren't raw. They've been—they've been pasteurized. Uh, so you—you you have a growing list of, of foods. Um, now there there's some signs that the government's going after raw milk cheeses and the cheesemakers who, who produce uh, uh, milk uh, cheese out out of raw milk. And even though the FDA says that um, such cheeses are, are fine as long as they're aged 60 days and, uh, and the, the cheesemakers who are producing such milks are, are doing that. Um, so the, 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 it's, it's a slippery slope, I guess is what I'm saying. When when you decide that um, uh, certain foods, certain types of foods uh, are dangerous and you decide that you're, you you need to pursue every last pathogen to the end of the earth, uh, you, you, you're going to um, you know, kind of uh, keep adding to your list.
1: So, so why why do you think the FDA and the USDA seem to be so obsessed with you know trying to stamp out raw milk? I mean, is it a safety issue? Is it an economic issue from the dairy industry? I mean, what what do you think is behind that? Um,
2: well, they, they, the FDA will tell you uh, it's a safety issue. Um, the uh, the reality is that um, raw milk. Probably is riskier than pasteurized milk. In other words, you can get sick from raw milk, but you can also get sick from pasteurized milk. Uh, and there are there are there have yeah. been outbreaks involving raw milk and pasteurized milk. Uh, it, it, when you come down to it, uh, no matter um, whether you're talking about raw milk or pasteurized milk, neither one of them is a health hazard uh, in in the sense of um, Presenting, you know, very serious risks in the in the overall scheme of things. The whole dairy category is one of the least risky categories uh, in the uh, among you know different yeah. kinds of foods.
1: So, a little different um, than meat, let's say.
2: Say meat or or, or certain um, leafy greens. Right. Uh, so um, right. you know we're we're talking about degrees here. So I, but they, so they say it's a safety issue. You you brought up the whole economic thing, and certainly. Um, I think the uh, uh, the dairy processors really um, you know see, see raw milk as a potential threat. That's not a huge threat right now because it's maybe from 1% to 2% of the population is drinking raw milk. But mm-hmm. um, raw milk does not offer any role for the processors, for the people who do the pasteurization.
1: Exactly.
2: Yeah. The milk isn't processed. Yeah. So um, that leaves them out. Now, you, the dairy industry, by some estimates... Is something on the order of a uh, $120, $130 billion industry. Every 1% of market share that they lose is, you know, a billion three, a billion four. Right. Uh, that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you have the dairy industry pushing the FDA and pushing state regulators to crack down on uh, raw milk. And uh, uh, certainly that's part of what's going on. Um, I think there are some um, other factors at, at, at work as well. I think there's a, a desire to um, uh, eliminate risk in any form, and we have kind of a, a, a fear, increasingly fear-based society, and every time someone gets sick, there's, and I don't mean just from raw milk, I mean from anything, from um, leafy greens or peanut butter or pistachios or whatever. Yeah, I mean, there are these things, all, all foods are potentially be potentially contaminated, every time these happen and someone gets uh, seriously ill, and we just had the big thing with eggs, um, there's an outcry. Why aren't the, why isn't the government protecting us? And uh, so you get this uh, kind of, you know, uh, cover my rear end uh, mm-hmm. attitude from the mm-hmm. uh, FDA and other um, state regulators that's, uh, I think, at work as well.
1: Well, yeah, there's certainly an issue of consumer responsibility here, too, because I know that uh, you know, depending on the strength of your immune system, some people will get sick and some people won't after having consumed the same food. Exactly. I think that's one of the items it tends to get to get overlooked. Um, I know I talked to uh, some farmers here in Maine that produce raw milk and they, they were so interesting. Um, th- there are the issues mentioned by them and also mentioned in your book that the farmer gets a lot more money for his milk if he's selling it himself direct as raw milk from his farm or even to a retail store. Um, The price that he gets for milk if it's going into a bulk tank and going to a big dairy business is a set price that he really doesn't have any control over. Um, And he or she, being the farmer, uh, also, I think, takes a, a certain pride in the product that they produce. That's an individual product. And that's something they, they lose by going into the bulk tank. So, uh, so those are some other issues that I certainly found. Very I sir- those know. are
2: very significant issues. I mean, just to give you a, a sense of what we're talking about. Um, when a farmer sells to the processor out of the bulk tank and, and uh, the milk kind of gets sent away in a tanker, the farmer gets somewhere around a $1.50 or $1.75 a gallon. When that same farmer sells unpasteurized milk directly to a consumer, uh, that milk sells for anywhere from $5 to $10 a gallon. You're talking about um, the farmer making anywhere from three to about um, seven times mm-hmm. uh, the amount that they make uh, selling to the processor. Uh, all of a sudden, dairy farming goes from being a losing proposition to being being a, 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 a an area something that they can make a living at.
1: yes, and and I think it, it does a lot to support our local farmers and support local agriculture in our in our communities. Um, you know, I, I think the other thing in talking to the farmers here in Maine, I asked them what what would you like listeners to know? about raw milk and especially addressing the safety issue and they came up with some great things. They said educate the, in, the consumers and have them visit our farms. Have them get to know the farmer so that they can decide for themselves if everything looks clean, if there's good ventilation, if the animals are well cared for. I mean this is kind of the issue of the farmer with a face and a bumper sticker I see often here in Maine that says, who's your farmer? So, farmers really want people to come and see their facilities and make some choices on their own about about the safety of the milk. Um, would you speak a little bit to how the United States looks overall as far as i mean, it's my understanding, this is a state to-state decision on uh, the availability of raw milk. and what what does that look like in general?
2: It is a state to-state decision, a situation, and what that means is, uh, we really have 50 sets of regulations regarding raw milk, um, and so that makes the situation pretty involved, pretty complicated. But uh, you, can, you can group the uh, states into a few categories. You have about 10 states that are very liberal with regard to sale of raw milk and actually allow the sale through retail channels, and Maine is one of those states. Uh, it's it's been very accommodating, and uh, Maine, from what I understand, has not had any any problems with illness. Um, uh, so uh, yeah, that's I actually category.
1: I spoke to um, two of the of the farmers um, in this area that are major uh, producers of raw milk, and they they do sell um, they sell in Shop and Saves, they sell in IGA, uh, they sell in local mom and pop stores uh they sell in co-op stores and of course they sell off the farm as well and the and they were saying that they have not had problems with the regulators and they feel that the regulations uh, that everything seems to be working pretty well here in Maine and and we know that that isn't true in in several in several other states there have been major issues no uh, although I, I
2: i actually was in um in Maine um, a few weeks back, and I talked with some farmers who are small-scale producers, don't sell retail, they sell off the farm, and they say they were encountering some issues with regulators. Uh, So
0: uh,
2: the situation in Maine may not um, uh, be quite as peaceful as it looks. Hopefully um, I'm wrong, and it's not the beginning of something happening, but I think that's what's important to keep in mind is that the FDA is pressuring states uh, even states that have liberal policies, like Maine, to crack down more. Connecticut, for example, also allows retail sales of raw milk. And a couple of years ago, they uh, the, the, the uh, state Department of Agriculture introduced legislation to try to um, uh, make the retail part of it illegal and just force the sale only from the farms. And consumers organized and beat that back. But that's uh, the kind of thing that's that's happening mm-hmm. uh, in in states around the country. You have. Um, I think it's uh, in addition to the 10 states that allow retail sales, you have about um, 20 states in which a a sale of raw milk is illegal. And so um, in those states, you have uh, farmers and consumers organizing what are known as herd shares or cow shares, where um, consumers own a part of the the cows that are giving their milk. And then in other states, uh, the remaining states, I think it's around... um, uh, 20, 15, 20 states, you have sales allowed just from the farm, and so that's places like, um, I would say, Massachusetts or New York State.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I an, another issue that I heard from the farmers here in Maine is that um, as far as the le- regulators are concerned, if they have a few larger farms that are selling raw milk, that's pretty easy to keep a handle on but when they have all of these small farms selling raw milk you know it's a bit like herding cats i suppose uh they have to spend a lot of time because they have to do the same inspection process on a small place that they do on a larger place and i think that that comes into the picture a little bit a little bit also
2: yeah maybe i mean maybe they, they say that but i mean you know think about it. that's their job isn't it <laughs>
1: It's what we're paying them for. It's exactly. our, our taxpayers' it's, money. It's not like
2: that, but it's you know, it's 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 it's, it's not like it's um, empty work or it's useless work because these farms are are you know financial contributors to the community. Yes, and absolutely. And so um, it's, we're in a we're in a period when jobs uh, are very hard to come by, lots of high unemployment, and uh, so you, you want to see as much economic activity as you can, especially from something as wholesome uh, as farming.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, we're about at the half hour. I want to remind listeners that this is a call-in show. And the call-in number is 1-866-625-9378. And I think we're going to take a very short break here. And when we come back from the break, um, we will be opening up those phone lines. And again, that number is one 866 625 nine three seven eight. We're gonna we really would like to hear what people feel about their food and the right to choose and about raw milk and any anecdotal information you would like to give us, so please do call them in. That's one 866 625 We'll be right back. Back to Healthy Options, today we're talking to uh, David Gumpert about his book, The Raw Milk Revolution, Behind America's Emerging Battle Over Food Rights. And the lines are now open for calls, and we have a caller on the line. Go ahead, caller.
0: Hi, this is Peggy. I'm from Ellsworth, and thank you for having anything to do with all uh, this information. It is wonderful. We need all we can get uh, for <laughs> information about food rights. Uh, Mike can... Uh, I. This does not have so much to do with pasteurized milk, but um, I did see a... I had had a DVD on, um, I believe it was the Food, Inc., uh, Incorporated, and then there there was another one on uh, commercialism, and they were showing the conditions of of cows and feedlots and milk cows and, and the whole nine yards of, you know, how horrible it is. Uh, which is the reason I don't buy anything like that from it anymore. And, but I also saw a, a thing where they, they had a the cows who are corn-fed because they can't process grass. I mean, they're not eating grass, and they can't process cows. Uh, the, the corn, they have these big... The, their sides are open, and it's terrible. They ha- feed... They, they do something to help them digest the corn. You well, know we're, what?
1: You were really talking what? about industrialized agriculture and, and food lots. Yes, and, I am. Yes, yes. and that, and that and does tie in a lot with the contamination of our food. Do you want to speak right. to that, David?
2: Yeah, I think yeah, I mean, that's an important point uh, that you're making. Um, uh, the um, uh, cows, and, and this isn't just milking cows, but this is cattle in general, Right. Our Fed uh, corn and soy-based diets, and as you suggest, they're meant to eat pasture, and uh, they're they're so they're they're um, uh, wired, uh, as it were, to um, to consume pasture, to digest pasture, and maybe have some small amount of grains uh, to supplement their diet, but um, uh, certainly nothing like the you know hundred percent that, that they're being given. So what you wind up with is uh, milk or meat that uh, is different than uh, nature intended and I think well, one of the uh, reasons that uh, people are increasingly looking for uh, raw milk or they're looking for grass uh, fed beef or or, or uh, eggs from chickens that are, are out in, in pasture I mean chickens don't primarily eat pasture but they certainly uh, they, they supplement their diets with uh, grass and and uh... bugs out in the fields. Um, the the reason people are are doing that is because the um, the actual nutritional value of the of the uh, eggs or the meat or the milk uh, is different and the yeah. the fat quality for example is um, is of a, a different quality and improved better quality so uh... that's an important point i think um, uh... You know, I, I guess I come back to the comment, the observation you made at the beginning. I mean, these animals that are being raised in these feedlots, uh, just, you know, they, they can't be, um, I mean, just all you have to do is spend, uh, just see a feedlot, or just like you say, look at the movie right. Food Inc., and you yeah. see these uh, feedlots, and there's no way those animals can be healthy. And as a result, there's no way their food, the food they produce, can be all that healthy. Uh, not to say right. that it's, uh, you know, contaminated with pathogens, um, although we do have a, a, a growing problem with pathogens from these feedlots, um, there, there's just uh, there's got to be something that is uh, sacrificed in the quality of the food that they produce.
1: Wasn't exactly. um, David? Wasn't the E. coli um, outbreak in spinach back a few years ago tied to the possibility of runoff from a feedlot?
2: Well, that's what it was said. I mean, that, that that's still um, kind of uh, up in the air, but. Um, there's, there's, it's possible that there was some runoff from um, cattle grazing. Uh, now, whether they were just, I don't, I'm not sure they were in feedlots. I think that, um, but there were also wild animals that might have carried it. Um, and, and I think what that pointed out, that, that spinach outbreak, that was in 2006. And actually, I, I talk, I, I know something about that because I, I interviewed the, one of the investigators and talk about it in my book. Uh, it, it, it kind of, um, He points up uh, the the, the fact that, I mean, there is a danger from from certain of these pathogens. Um, These pathogens uh, seem to have originated in the feedlots. And so um, now they've been kind of uh, propagated around and uh, picked up uh, by um, uh, healthy animals, wild animals, uh, that don't necessarily get sick themselves but pass it around. And uh, so we we, we have a, a... A problem uh, as a result of of all that.
1: Mm -hmm. That's a very good question. Thank thank you, caller, for calling in with that. Um, I also want to make sure that we make sure that our listeners have lots of information about uh, where to go to read more about this. And of course, um, David's book, um, I would suggest that you read. And David, I know you have a blog and a website. Would you give us that information?
2: Yes. My uh, blog is called The Complete Patient, and it's www.thecompletepatient, all one word, just the way it sounds, .com. Um, And then um, my website is uh, uh, www.davidgumpert.com, my full
1: name. Thank you. We have another caller on the line. Uh, Caller, are you there?
3: Good morning. This is Yo in Tremont. I find it interesting that in this context you should mention both eggs and green leafy vegetables. And the question I would like to pose is the enforcement against raw milk, isn't that just a toe in the door for using safety concerns to hand control of all our food to corporations? Thank you
1: for the show. Thank you for calling. David?
2: Good question. Um, I, I, I definitely think that uh, the so-called safety concerns uh, being directed at raw milk um, are a, a toe in the door, as it were. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to say if it's, if it's simply about corporations gaining more, more control over our food system, the government can, uh, uh, gaining more control over our food system. Uh, perhaps um, international interests gaining more control over our food system, uh, but uh, definitely it 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 represents a uh, loss of control by consumers over the food that they can consume, the food options they have. and um, um, it, it it makes it more difficult for those of us who value nutritionally dense foods to obtain those foods. I mean it you know, you go into a grocery store and it's very, the very deceptive uh, situation, I think intentionally. So you go into a grocery store and you look around and you think, geez, you know, there's everything here anyone could possibly want. And yet, uh, when you look more closely, the, a lot of the foods we're talking about here today are not available. Uh, the, uh, uh, the grass fed beef, the, uh, pastured eggs, the, uh, the chickens raised without soy feed, the, um, uh, the unpasteurized milk, uh, so you, you and 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 that the you know the, the apple cider the almonds um, increasingly there's an effort. Uh, uh, more, uh, the FDA has, has okayed um, uh, irradiating our vegetables, giving a, a zapping our uh, vegetables and our meat uh, with a small dose of radiation to supposedly kill off uh, pathogens. Uh, you know th- these these things take hold, and then it becomes they stay, they not only take hold but they substitute for the for the real food. And then it becomes more difficult to obtain the real food. so yeah, it's a, it's a it's a big issue.
1: So so, what can we do as consumers to uh, to keep control of the food that we eat and the right to eat it?
2: I think there are a couple of things that that people can do. One is that to uh, stay politically involved and, and and encourage their representatives to pay attention to these issues. I'll just give you one example. We have something. Uh, today going on in, in the uh, U.S. Congress over food safety. And there's a food safety uh, bill which has been passed by the House and has been is pending in the Senate called Senate Bill 510. And that bill will give the FDA huge amount of additional power over our food and will um, also allow the FDA to implement something called good agricultural practices, which will, in effect, give the uh, FDA... Uh, the power to tell farmers uh, how to grow their food, how to irrigate and how to rotate, and you know, things that farmers have responsibility for and should have responsibility for. And so um, I, that whole um, uh, issue is coming up. It um, uh, could come up any time. It could come up in the lame duck session that will start in just uh, another couple weeks now that the elections are over. And so uh, I'd encourage people to call their senators and uh, tell them to uh, vote against s five ten. So that's one thing. I think the other thing that people can do, and I think this is uh, one of the uh, probably bottom line, the biggest thing people can do is just to seek out uh, nutritionally dense foods. And sometimes that means making more of an effort to buy your food. In other words, if if it's not available in the grocery store, then what you have to do is you have to go to farmer's markets or you have to go directly to farms and and seek out that food. Uh, But... um, that, that takes business away from the factory food system and gives it to the farmers who, who need it and um, put that money back into the communities. So, so we
1: really have to, as consumers, we have to talk with our wallets exactly yeah yeah and funny. the farmers are are very open they they want consumers to come visit their farms and that that in itself is a great you know family outing for everybody to do on a on a saturday afternoon i think it it adds a whole dimension to your food that makes it a whole lot different than going in and buying some package that traveled 2000 miles to uh you know to get to maine
2: exactly
1: mhm mm-hmm. um what about uh, What about the uh, Weston Price Foundation? There's so much information online about this. Would you talk about Weston Price a little bit?
2: Yes, the Weston A. Price Foundation uh, is an organization that is committed to encouraging uh, people to seek out and consume more nutritionally dense foods. They've been very active in supporting farmers uh, who produce raw milk uh, they have a, a, a website called um, realmilk.com, I think it's www.realmilk.com. Um, they um, have uh, also helped start a, an organization called the Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund. And this, um, this organization consists of a number of lawyers who have uh, uh, taken on cases in states where the regulators are cracking down excessively on um, raw dairy farmers and other kinds of farmers. But uh, they have cases pending in a number of states, uh, like, especially in uh, like Wisconsin and Missouri. And they also have a case pending against the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, uh, challenging the FDA's authority to uh, mm-hmm. limit uh, interstate shipments of raw milk.
1: Yeah, I want I want to get back to this and talk about this a little bit more. We have another caller on the line. Uh, caller, are you there?
2: I am.
3: Thanks. Um, my name is Spencer. I'm from China, and we're uh, we run an organic dairy farm um, and have been uh, drinking raw milk ourselves for thirty years. Um, I just wanted to bring out that there is a, a big difference between the the national scene and the scene we have here in Maine. Uh, Thank raw you milk- for
1: mentioning that. Yes.
3: Um, the, the, in Maine here, we have uh, 305 licensed grade 8 wholesale dairies, of which 60-some-odd are organic, which is changing the market dramatically um, by pulling pulling a lot of the conventional farmers into things like cover crops and, and doing a pretty good job with their cows. And um, Just an aside, the cow horror stories, you can't make money with cows that aren't working well. Um, so most dairies... Actually, the industrial dairies provide a much more idealized environment than many of the smaller farms do for cows. And indeed, the corn grain diet is bad for cows, but you can't get cows to gain weight or make milk if you're not feeding them somewheres near what they're normally going to eat for forages. And the only way we make money here in Maine is by feeding the things we grow. So that's what we focus on here is both conventional and organic. Um, But out of the the, the 305 grade A wholesale dairies, we also have additionally, I think, 19 raw milk producers licensed, and uh, many more, of course, operating under the radar with like one or two cows and selling milk just to their neighbors. Um, And there's a huge subset of people making cheese here, and uh, a lot of activity regarding both action on the raw milk front and on the national front from MOFCA. Um, where uh, the executive director of MoFGA, Russ Levy, spent a lot of time in D.C. affecting this legislation that you've talked about and trying to make it substantially more small farm friendly, and we've succeeded a lot. Uh, You're talking about Senate Bill five hundred and ten. The the food safety bill with the good agricultural practices and stuff was originally completely designed for California and had things like distances between livestock and 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 uh, uh, edible plants that were uh, difficult to achieve without uh, large farm expanses between diversified farms were basically out. That has changed substantially, but still needs some more work and and more support for for efforts like Russ Libby's would be great. Um, But there is a huge difference between the scene you're describing on the national level and what's going on here in Maine. And, and, and I just want to make sure that people know that the, the conventional dairy people here in Maine are pretty good about stuff and, and, uh, and, and are learning fast in some ways, watching their neighbors weather the economic storm that, that commodity pricing swings tend to force on this conventional farmer. So we're doing better than you think. I,
1: yeah. I are call. Are you selling raw milk
3: now? Um, well, we we've always uh, supplied a few to our neighbors, but we mm-hmm. actually sell our, our to wholesale. We're, we're our milk is in Stonyfield Yogurt mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. through an Organic Valley Yep. co op. Yep, great. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I think what you're what you're saying is a good point. I, I I I um I would just also say that um, these national trends are. Uh, are going to hit Maine or starting to hit Maine? I'll just give you one example. You mentioned Organic Valley; they have an, uh, adopted a policy uh, to um, prohibit their uh, their f- farmer members who are selling raw milk from continuing to sell raw milk. And as of the first of the year, they're prohibited from selling raw milk separately. So, um,
3: yeah, and that's that's caused some hassle. But you know that niche, um, which you know, I, I, we many of us have. Have filled that niche, and and um, the the, uh, the policy was hotly debated and really contentious, as you know. Um, but the, the the net result is that other farmers will move in to fill
2: that because none of the Horizon farmers are under that restriction. So, no, but I mean, I guess my my, my point know? in saying that isn't. It's just that to you, suggest that these national trends um, are uh, going to. Uh, Going to impact Maine ever more. The FDA is putting ever more pressure on the state agencies, and I understand that they are uh, after Maine. Uh, they they control um, a lot of funding for the states, and if this food safety legislation passes, they will have even more funding, and they dangle that funding in front of the states, and the states don't have any money. The states are yeah. broke, so yeah, um, they yeah, can, we're the to FDA do... can call the shots here.
3: Yeah, we're trying to do with one-third the people in the Department of Agriculture for the state of Maine that we used to do yeah,
2: yeah. before, well, and that, um, that
3: makes it hard to do the bottom end. Of course, they're going to work on the biggest effectors of food safety first, which is the larger farms, and whatever energy is left is what you get.
2: I'm not sure so, they're going to uh, go after the larger farms. Uh, you know, we just had this huge outbreak with eggs out of well, Iowa. You, you, uh, you those, gotta,
3: you, there's an amazing thing that happened here in Maine with that. Maine was five years ahead. The state vet has been requiring complete uh salmonella testing and vaccination of all the decoster flocks since the big blow up with decoster about five years ago. So we actually tested completely clean here in maine on the and much as I dislike wholesale chickens um they did get way ahead of the curve on that one but amazingly enough. They're using them as a national national model now right right so well, that's that's kind of neat they, they, they check it out. Don Honig at the state of Maine. Is the, is the doctor in charge of that. Pretty amazing job on that one.
1: Well, I think we always do have to be vigilant in the state of Maine, not be complacent and think, because uh, it seems, at least right now, to be pretty good that we don't have to just keep an eye on that because I know certainly I went on the Weston Price uh, Foundation Real Milk site and you can click on your state and it will tell you uh, the regulations for your state and, the, and in the case of Maine, it lists um, farmers who are selling raw milk, but there was also a note on there saying that five people had, uh, farmers, had recently dropped off the list because they felt that the list was being used by the FDA to target people.
3: Yeah, there's always that suspicion, and raw milk's really, really uh, a a problem with the health professionals. Many don't believe in it at all, and Mm -hmm. some are violent advocates for, so...
1: I find it so interesting because uh, back in the early 80s when I first had dairy goats, I wasn't selling it. I wanted to know if it was good for me and my family. And I went to my doctor and asked him. And his comment was just so incredible. He, w- he was an older doctor, and he said, that's the very best thing that you and your family can drink. There hasn't been a case of brucellosis in the state of Maine for, you know, I don't know how many Yeah, we've been years.
3: brucellosis free for many decades.
1: Yeah, yeah, and he said it's a very, very best thing, so I really didn't need anything further, Amen. and I find it interesting that now there seems to be so much controversy. In the years that I sold milk, there was never a problem. I never even considered it an issue, and obviously the milk hasn't changed,
3: yeah, the the, the yeah. controversy's been there since pasteurization saved the cities from nasty stuff that they were trying to ship on the train.
1: Mm-hmm. And
3: uh, it was pretty bad. Mm-hmm. And so pasteurization was a great thing when you were killing
2: lots and lots of people with bad milk products.
3: Mm-hmm. It's
2: not such a good thing for... Yeah, the, a lot of I, the problems of that time have been solved with refrigeration, with sanitation. Yep. Absolutely. And, uh, I'm sorry? That's that's absolutely correct. Yeah, so I mean, I, I mean, the, so the question of uh, some raw dairy farmers are saying, you know, we're fighting, uh, uh, you know, that that hundred-year-old war uh, that's already been won. Uh, pasteurization was a help, and I don't think anyone is advocating. I certainly am not uh, that we uh, abandon pasteurization. I think uh, there's a, a huge demand for pasteurized milk and other pasteurized products, and that's fine. Um, I think what we're really talking about is giving people a choice, allowing those who don't want to have uh, pasteurized, pro- want to have unpasteurized products, to, to be able to access them. And the food's a lot better. Uh, well, I, that's true. Sure. I, I think <laughs> those of us who have it, you, you know, because you, you've been consuming it for a long time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jersey milk's a whole different thing.
3: Mm-hmm. All right, I got to go feed some heifers. The- <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you very much for calling in. Um, yes, this certainly is an issue of consumer rights and. Uh, what we can do to protect our right to choose our own food. I think it really comes down to that and and uh, I thank you David very very much uh, for writing this book. Um, We do have one lost caller I don't know if there's time to put that caller in or no I guess we're gonna have to save that for another time. Um, David I I would like you to just uh, go over places your website and places where people can get information Can you give us that one more time?
2: Sure. Um, Well, I I mentioned the um, there's the Real Milk website, uh, www.realmilk.com. There's the Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund for those um, farmers who may have some concerns about their uh, legal rights um, and consumers who want to know what's going on on the legal front. It's uh, www. Uh, Let's see f it's it's the initials uh for f t c l d f dot
1: yeah and that's um, a great way for consumers to um to support farmers as well in case small farmers are in legal battles which they obviously you know can't pay for
2: right yeah. and they've done a tremendous job of of representing farmers around the country mm-hmm. um and then um there's my site, which is uh, thecompletepatient.com, www.thecompletepatient.com. Uh, so those are, are three of the... Um, uh
1: Well, we seem to be uh, swamped with phone calls during these last few minutes, so maybe this is a discussion that we need to continue on another show. Um, David, I'd like to thank you very much for being with us today and also all our listeners who have called in. Please read David's book, The Raw Milk Revolution, Behind America's Emerging Battle Over Food Rights, and check out his website and his blog. I would also like to thank the Belfast Co-op for all your help and information and also the folks at uh, Caldwell Farm and Tide Mill Farm who managed to talk to me at great lengths between calf births and milk deliveries. And a special thanks to Amy Brown, our station engineer, for this show today. Thank you all for listening. And I really do hope that you will join us again. I hope this is giving you some additional healthy options to add to your list of choices. Please join us again next month for Healthy Options at 10 AM and the first Wednesday of each month. Um, I'm Andre Bella, and uh, I'm hoping that all of you will have uh, a right to exercise your healthy options for a long time to come. And again, David, I want to thank you so much for listening. Just give us your um, information one more time. And could you also give us that Weston Price site?
2: Sure. Thank you, Andre. Um, it's, uh, my blog is uh, thecompletepatient.com, www.thecompletepatient.com. Um, my book is The Raw Milk Revolution Behind America's Emerging Battle Over Food Rights. Uh, There's the Weston A. Price Foundation site, which is um, www.realmilk.com. And um, there's the uh, Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund
1: site. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm Andre Bella, and from all of us at Healthy Options, be well, and thanks for listening.
0: CRU
3: health-related programming is made possible in part by the Mabel Wadsworth Women's Health Center, providing comprehensive reproductive and sexual health services for all women of all ages at all stages since 1984. Insurance, main care, and self-pay accepted. MabelWadsworth.org.